You're listening to Hidden History, and I'm your host, Ellis Tucci. Hidden History is an audio project of Bulletin Technologies, LLC. To find out how you can fly for a fraction of the cost of commercial, visit bulletinflights.com. I'm pleased to announce that Hidden History has a new home. To catch up on all our past episodes and hear new ones every Wednesday, head on over to hiddenhistory.show and learn something new today. Hidden History can now be found on your iPhone's built-in podcast app. Subscribe to be updated on our weekly releases and download past episodes for offline listening. And now, the show. Through modern cosmetic and plastic surgery, you can completely transform the way you look. Be it through rhinoplasty, facial, or body contouring, there are practically very few limits to what can be changed under the knife. But logically, plastic and cosmetic surgery wasn't always this advanced. And just about 100 years ago, 5,000 men would receive a series of experimental surgeries that laid the foundation for today's modern cosmetic medicine. Thousands more would have haunting fixes tailor-made just for them. You're listening to Hidden History. This is episode 14, The Blue Bench. These black caskets carry Ferdinand and his wife to Vienna. They are the prelude to slaughter. Berlin, the Germans know the hour of glory is at hand. Russia mobilizes, and with his uncle, the Grand Duke Nicholas, with a white moustache, reviews the army. Ten million men will be enough to crush the Germans. The Kaiser and the King of Württemberg make ready to sweep the field with their marvelous new games. The other German king will help. These men are to go to Moscow, Paris, London. The Crown Prince will command an army. Von Mackensen will fight the Romanians. 
legal step before their emperor and before the son of their emperor. That was an excerpt from a Fox movie tone newsreel produced after World War I to give historical context to the war itself. That long, dialogue-free space in the beginning is a parade of newspaper headlines highlighting the escalation to war of the nations of Europe. Overall, 67 million men were mobilized to fight in World War I, and over 16 million of them died. It was one of the deadliest conflicts in human history, and in response to increased lethality on the battlefield, engineers and designers worked to decrease mortality rates as much as they could. In the beginning of the war, soldiers were not issued helmets, but rather leather and cloth caps that offered little to no protection. Trench warfare did well to protect the body, but did very little to protect the head and face. Soldiers who were the recipients of facial wounds were often considered unsavable, and were often the last ones to receive battlefield medical attention. And so, in order to help soldiers defend themselves from head wounds, in 1915, John Leopold Brody, entrepreneur, inventor, and diamond miner, designed and patented the easy-to-manufacture Brody helmet. Known by names such as the Doughboy Helmet, Battle Bowler, or Shrapnel Helmet, it was pressed out of a single thick piece of steel and designed to mimic the kettle helmets of medieval cavalry soldiers. By the end of the war, seven and a half million Brody-style steel helmets were manufactured and used by American and British forces, and a similar design, the Adrian Helmet, was employed by the French. For all its simplicity, it was sometimes called a soup bowl design, the steel helmet did its job. It succeeded in reducing casualties from head and face injuries, but with one small caveat. The steel helmet successfully made headshots more survivable, at the expense of making them horribly disfiguring. The shrapnel produced by impact on the helmets themselves created tens of thousands of facial mutilations. The French would later refer to this special kind of soldier as a gueux cassé, literally broken face. And with facial reconstruction surgery only in an extremely primitive phase, alternative fixes had to be adopted. A solution was found in American author and sculptor Anna Coleman Ladd. Anna Coleman Ladd was born Anna Coleman Watts in 1878 in Philadelphia. She would go on to study sculpture and painting in both Paris and Rome before the war. And her solution? The Studio for Portrait Masks. The creation of the Studio for Portrait Masks is the French component of the larger surgery and prosthetic story that we need to know about to understand and appreciate the impact of New Zealand-born surgeon Sir Harold Gillies. French soldiers accounted for, in Ladd's estimation, more than double the facial reconstruction surgeries received by American doughboys. Her painstaking processes brought men from fronts across Europe to a studio designed to treat both the internal and external scars of war. 
The bright, meticulously designed office did well to conceal the morbid job of the studio for portrait masks. Men who had just undergone long and painful ordeals to recover from disfiguring battlefield injuries were then subjected to hours of plaster casting called squeezes. They were then asked to sit with the handmade masks on their face as Ladd and her team of artists painted them to match the soldier's skin tone as closely as possible. It was a grueling process. It sometimes took up to a month to make each mask. But in the end, it allowed Ladd's patients to, on some level, regain control of their lives. Ladd and her team would go on to make 185 masks in two years, a large enough number to be part of this episode, but as Ladd maintained before her death in 1939, far smaller than the total number who needed her help. Across the English Channel, another individual was beginning the quest to find a medical solution to the problem that Ladd had chosen to solve with sculpture. In London, Sir Harold Gillies was painstakingly working to develop methods of recreating human likenesses for English soldiers maimed by the war. As a young ear, nose, and throat surgeon, Gillies would often be sidetracked by a round of golf, famously missing the appointment of a renowned opera singer, Dame Nellie Melba. Despite this playful mindset, he was able to gain traction in his field and become a pioneer in reconstruction surgeries for the facially disfigured, many of whom were soldiers in World War I. He proposed and oversaw the development of a hospital dedicated to reconstructive surgery in Cambridge, England, and when that facility became too small, he and his growing team moved to Sidcup, outside London, where they established a service dedicated to the research, reconstruction, and rehabilitation of soldiers with facial mutilations. By the time his practice in Sidcup closed its doors in 1925, he had presided over the cases of around 5,000 patients and 100,000 surgeries. This practice, like lads, sought to solve the internal issues of wounded soldiers by repairing their appearance, but also providing them with spaces to handle internal trauma. Gillies and his hospital staff did this in unique ways. The patients weren't allowed access to mirrors, preventing them from seeing their progress or lack thereof. Spread around Sidcup were scores of blue benches, reserved for patients at the hospital, positioned in places where the wounded soldiers couldn't be stared at by local residents. As a result, what we now know as PTSD was treated on a relatively basic level in his hospitals after the end of World War I. Gillies used his wartime experience to effectively establish the field of modern plastic surgery, and wrote two books on the subject between 1925 and his death in 1960, in between lectures, continual patient surgeries, and, of course, rounds of golf. What made Gillies' surgery so groundbreaking was his concept of using skin and bone grafts from other healthy parts of the body. Gillies prospered in this new field of reconstructive medicine, 
It didn't take long for the British Army to realize that these procedures would be an important component of mechanized warfare. Soon, Gillies was leading his own plastic surgery unit in Aldershot. Here, he was able to develop his, quote, strange new art so that he could perfect skin grafting procedures. Like Ladd, art played a significant part in Gillies' work, even inspiring him to take detailed sketches of pre- and post-surgery soldiers. Gillies' work was so impressive that he needed to prove to other doctors that it wasn't fake. One story tells of a soldier, J. Maggs of the Welsh Guard, whose nose was completely destroyed by a sniper bullet. He underwent facial reconstruction surgery with Gillies and emerged with a nose so perfect that, when prompted by doctors, Gillies would make Mags blush, often by talking to him in language Mags didn't understand, just to prove that the nose would blush as well. Gillies would keep pioneering the field of plastic surgery, continually blurring the line between art and science. He continued to explore new techniques and trained scores of plastic surgeons during the Second World War. He performed the first female-to-male sex reassignment surgery in 1946 and the first male-to-female surgery in 1951. He was the first doctor to perform a facial reanimation surgery for a patient diagnosed with previously incurable facial paralysis. Harold Gillies, the father of plastic surgery, died on September 10, 1960, leaving behind a legacy of unparalleled medical innovation. For the curious yet squeamish among you, I would recommend exercising caution if you want to learn more about Gillies, Ladd, and their prosthetic and surgical procedures. Both before and after pictures can be extremely unsettling. And so I'd like to end this episode with a quote from Dr. Fred Albee, the inventor of the bone graft, speaking on the psychological impact of both facial injuries and their surgeries on the soldiers of World War I. The psychological effect on a man who must go through life an object of horror to himself as well as others is beyond description. It is a fairly common experience for the maladjusted person to feel like a stranger to his world. It must be unmitigated hell to feel like a stranger to yourself. This episode of Hidden History was written by myself and Jeff Cole. Listen to Hidden History online at hiddenhistory.show or on air on 88.3 FM WDCV every Wednesday at 4. Look for Hidden History on your Apple Podcasts app or wherever fine podcasts are found. This is Ellis Tucci at Hidden History, signing off.